This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, well, welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. At the bottom of the hour, we go out to Tel Aviv, where we're going to be joined by Lieutenant Colonel Peter Lerner, the IDF spokesperson. Uh, this battle plan could start at any moment. Uh, and Doug Bergram in studio, Governor of North Dakota, GOP presidential candidate. And we do have a, another announcement. NBC will host the third Republican debate. It'll be November 8th at 10, uh, 10 p.m. in Miami. Uh, the governor is working hard to get qualified for that. We'll see how close he is and more. But first, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Jordan is either on the first or the second ballot tomorrow. He will be the speaker. I think uh, Speaker McCarthy has a pretty good sense of exactly where they are. There are a handful of, of moderates, frankly, who are so angry at the Benedict Arnolds who created this mess. I agree thoroughly. That's the former speaker speaking out. Today, we could be the day the House taps Jim Jordan. I don't know who it would be if not him. As uh, we heard today from Congressman Turner, they'll have to do a deal with the Democrats just to get the, the body functioning again. Number two. You see these demonstrations supporting Hamas in the United States of America. You get reports of babies being murdered, all this other stuff, and your first instinct is to go out and praise the terrorists. That is so crazy what's happening in this country. Anti-Israeli protests crop up around the world and here in this country, especially on college campuses. It is utterly astonishing to me that these big buck donors are also astonished and now they're pulling back their money. Let's see if some of these institutions will sober up. Some celebrities also would help if they spoke out. Number one. Secretary of State Antony Blinken announced the president's travel last night. He's going to be leaving later on today, making his second trip to a war zone in his time in office, this time to Israel, to show the U.S. support for Israel and also what Blinken called our ironclad commitment to their security. Gaza invasion delay as President Biden announces he's going. First stop Israel, then he's going to go over to Egypt, he's going to go over to Jordan, and he's going to visit the Palestinian Authority. Is this the best use of our president? We'll bring you the latest. And let's ask Governor Doug Bergram, who wants that job. Governor of North Dakota, you're still doing that. Governor, do you think it's right for the uh, pre- do you think it's good for the president to go to Israel? Well, I think it's good to go. But I would like say if I were your president, we wouldn't be in this mess because the whole point, I mean, it's ridiculous. It doesn't matter whether Joe Biden's in the United States, whether Joe Biden is traveling across the Middle East. 
were in this mess because of his policies. He's been following a path of appeasement with Iran going back to the Obama administration. And now, you know, who does Iran supply weapons to? Russia, drones, armed drones. Who does they supply weapons to? Terrorist organizations, largest supporter of terrorism in the world, Hezbollah, Hamas, and others. And so Joe Biden's funding two sides of the two wars. We're in, we're in a proxy war with Russia and a proxy war with Iran, and Joe Biden is funding both sides of that through their appeasement process. And, of course, what did we see with these horrific, abhorrent attacks? We saw a bunch of kidnapping. The day that he said, I'm going to trade five Americans for five, but we're also going to throw in $6 billion. he put a price of over a billion dollars on every American tourist, every American business person that's traveling, every American student abroad. And and I turned to my team, literally the second it happened, I said, we're going to see more kidnappings. Two weeks later, hundreds of people being kidnapped by Hamas. Right, and you thought Israel would always be on guard, especially in a day in which they're challenged almost every day since their existence uh, in 1948, and yet they were totally caught napping. Does that make you worry that between our intelligence and their intelligence, they beat this. They were able to kill people for hours, kidnap them for hours. This went better than, according to their own plan, went, Hamas's plan, which has since been discovered through detainees and through the printed word of these 14-page manuals. Well, yes, and, of course, the intel we've seen now where they've got color-coded maps, they knew exactly where they were going, they knew where the soft targets were. But we also know that Iran has been working on, you know, plotting this terrorist attack for for well over a year. And so we again, this is this during the same time frame, naive Joe Biden and his administration trying to figure out a path of appeasement, uh, which of course is also I mean you just have to ask yourself, is any American better off today than they were three years ago when Joe Biden took office? I mean, no. Inflation is like reaching in like an insidious tax into your savings and pulling out your your, your savings costing everything's cost more he's destabilized the world he's empowered dictators so americans are less safe and they're less prosperous today than when joe biden took office and his main focus is green energy that's what he called off in colorado he's going to talk more about wind which is totally ineffective electric cars aren't going to be made these auto companies in the middle of this strike right now are saying i don't think we can afford to lose this much much more money on this stuff well, yeah, and this is when we're using taxpayer dollars. Hardworking Americans are using their dollars to subsidize the batteries, which are made in China. And China controls 85% of the rare earth minerals. And if you're getting an electric car battery out of China, it's made in a plant powered by coal. China's opened up a coal plant a week right now. And why would they do that? Well, you and I have talked before. They're the world's largest importer of oil and gas. China, 10 million barrels of oil a day. They're trying to reduce their in their dependence on the Middle East. They're trying to reduce their dependence on Russia as suppliers. What do they have? A lot of coal. So they're just, they're, they got 246 coal plants powered. The Washington right. Post last week wrote an article praising China for their being ahead of the U.S. on switching to electric vehicles without mentioning what the source of the power was. They're not making the environment safer or cleaner, and they're not making the world more stable. And These no are crazy policies. No one's happy with it. No one's happy with the border. No one's happy with the Middle East. No one's happy since Afghanistan where the president said, I got elected because I have this mature experience, former chairman of the Council of Foreign Relations in the Senate. Here's what Ron DeSantis said about this whole process. He says, look, We cannot accept these Palestinians that are on the move now fighting for their lives as they go south because the bombing, there's been 6,000 bombings, whether they're rockets or from fighter jets or drones in the Gaza region. This is what he's telling everybody. I want to see if Governor Bergham agrees. Cut eight. My position is very clear. As the first presidential candidate say, no Gaza refugees, period. We're just not going to do it. And why? Because we don't want to import the pathologies from the Gaza Strip and other places in the Middle East 
to the United States of America. They are taught to hate Jews. They are taught that Israel has no right to exist. The textbooks that they use don't even have Israel on the map at all. And so this is just endemic to their culture. So what do you think, Governor? Did you agree with uh, Governor DeSantis? A hundred percent. I mean, because when, you know, Hamas was created back uh, decades ago, coming out of the Muslim Brotherhood, their whole thing was death to Israel. I mean, the, the Israel, it's not, they weren't looking for a two-state solution. They're looking for a one-state solution, which is Israel's wiped off the map. And so we can't have it. And we don't know if we're taking asylum seekers just like we are. I mean, forget Hamas. You start having Gaza Strip residents mm-hmm. seek asylum in the United States. How do we know we're not just importing ha- Hamas terrorist cells? Because that problem already exists. Down at the border right now, we've had a 54% increase under Joe Biden in the last 12 months of people on the terrorist watch list coming into our country. And some of them, from my trip that was just down there recently at the border, from a Border Patrol briefing, they just said it out loud. They're exploiting these rules. You know, you can't separate families. So if you're a terrorist coming into the United States, well, you know, grab an adolescent, bring them with you, tell tell somebody it's your kid, mm-hmm. and then come on in because we can't separate them. So you we know, let, them, let them into the country. You so, know, the Trump administration mm-hmm. came out and they had DNA kits. And after a while, they didn't even need the kit or they need the swab. Yep. And as soon as they took out the swab, these guys, okay, it's not my son. Okay, yeah. it's not my daughter. Yeah. And they would, because they knew they, they were trying to fix it. There's, a, there's just a lack of effort in trying to fix it, isn't there? Well, it, you talk to the senior leaders on our Border Patrol. They're demoralized. Yeah. No one supports them. And if they can take early retirement, they've done it. And why? Because they feel like they're being defunded yeah. and disrespected, just like other law enforcement in our country. And we've got to stand behind that. And the, the problem pe- is the last election, the pre- the, everyone thought Republicans would benefit from it. But because of the abortion, in my view, Roe v. Wade, that overwhelmed all the border issues. Therefore, Democrats go, hey, it was no problem. We didn't pay any price in the midterms. Yeah, exactly. And, and again, when you're down there talking to Border Patrol, you ask them, you know, is this a complex problem? They say, no, we've had a secure border before. Give us the resources. Give us the personnel. Give us the technology. We can close the border. They can do that. But you know who's got better financing? The cartels on the other side. They're, right. raking, in, they're raking in tens of millions of dollars at some of these crossings. You want to know why people walk across at a low-water crossing that I was standing next to and there's people coming across? we got troops on our side. Why they're coming across there? They're coming across there because that's where the cartels told them. This is where you can right. cross. Give us all the money you have left in your pocket. So between a thousand and three thousand dollars, some of these folks were shelling out the last money they had. Where then the cartels said, "You guys cross here." They cross over to our side, and then what do we get? We get a bill. Here, here's what. Uh, yeah, as you just agreed with Governor DeSantis that we can't be displacing these having these refugees here. You know, who's against it? A member of the squad. Cut nine. And I also want to address something very specific about what. Uh, Governor DeSantis said when he said, quote unquote, all Gazans are anti-Semitic, how incredibly destructive and dangerous that rhetoric is. We just had a six-year-old boy stabbed 26 times this morning because of rhetoric like that. And it is dangerous. It is unacceptable. It is reckless. And no leader in the United States of America should be amplifying a message like that. Your reaction? Well, we just talked about this as a border. We, we don't <clears throat> people are going to exploit the loopholes. Why in the world would we a have Joe Biden fund Iran, which mm-hmm. is funding terrorism around the world? And then why would we take people from an area that is just launched a terrorist attack against us and our allies? Americans died. Why would we why would we give them asylum in the United States? I mean, this is a no brainer, which is no. So no. what do you think that with this destabilization of the region, you, you don't have anything against the president going 
Uh, you don't see politics in this. Do you think that he is uh, desperate to show that he's a man in charge? Well, of course he is. And this is, you know, hey, I'm going to run over and show our solidarity. But is he when he's there, is he going to say, is he going to announce against Israel that he's going to stop giving billions of dollars to Iran, the people that are behind this attack? Is he going to do that? I mean, that's what we should do. I mean, I don't think so, because he's busy trying to help Iran get to nuclear weapons, which will further destabilize not just the region, but the world. So, like I said, it doesn't matter where Joe Biden is if he doesn't change the policies. It's his policies Mm -hmm. which are making Americans uh, less safe and less prosperous. One of your areas of expertise, the economy um, and what you've done in your own career. Charles Payne was on with uh, Sean Hannity last night, and he talks about what the price of oil is going to go up to. If it gets up to $100 a barrel, who's it going to help? Our enemies, Russia uh, and Iran specifically. Here's what he said could be happening. Cut 12. There's no doubt that this uh, this war on American oil producers has backfired miserably. Uh, and you, you bring up the point, yeah, uh, Joe Biden tapped into the Strategic Petroleum Reserve to win a midterm election, uh, but he put us in a more precarious situation. Oil subsequently has come back on. And the only reason we're not, not at $4 already is that we've seen some of the uh, refiners' margins come in a little bit. That's not going to be the case as time goes on. And in the meantime, think about this. We were supposed to somehow stop the world from paying more than $60 a barrel for Russian oil. That Euro oil has been as high as $80, $90. And we're also putting would-be um, allies in awkward positions. India needs oil. India is going to buy cheap oil. And, you know, we want to, we want to, have, we want to cut deals with India, the youngest, the largest democracy in the world, which is going to be a major economic power. China, of course, is cutting uh, buying oil from Russia and Iran. Iran gets this $6 billion and becomes emboldened like everyone says they will. All of this sources back not to an energy policy, not to an economic policy, but to an ideology. You agree? Completely. And and let's look at the numbers. This, the Biden administration is not enforcing Iranian oil export sanctions. Their numbers shot through the roof up to mm-hmm. like a million and a half barrels in July this year and have kept on going. Who's buying it? China's buying a bunch of it. So Joe Biden, I was the first candidate to say he he I was the first one to say he drained the Strategic Petroleum Reserve to help win win the midterms. Joe Biden's approval rating goes up and down with the price of gas at the pump in America. He knows that when the price is high, his approval mm-hmm. ratings are low. He's trying to manage the price at the pump. At the same time, he's got a war on U.S. energy. He's trying to get us to buy from our enemies. What he did in Venezuela, this thing, we're lifting the sanctions on Venezuela, 600,000 barrels of oil. If they promise open elections, as if they're going to do that. It's a joke. It's a complete joke. They'll say whatever they want to say, just the way Iran said whatever they're going to say. And then Joe Biden is so naive in his administration, then they agree to do this stuff. So Iran is is selling their oil to China. You know what China's doing? China is growing their strategic. They're filling their strategic petroleum reserve. We drained ours. And then, of course, Putin, he's not he's not a president of a country the way you and I would think about it. He's a mob boss and he's gets he's running a huge uh, illegal international organization and he's worth 70 to 100 billion dollars and he gets a cut basically out of all the oil they sell and so when putin is selling oil uh, out of this thing we're making him rich yep it's, it's amazing when we come back what is uh, governor bergram's got to do to get on the stage in the next debate how's he doing also what does he make of what's going on in the house as he goes back to iowa new hampshire south carolina and who knows even nevada goes to the brian kilmeade show don't move Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. 
Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. We're back. Uh, today there's going to be a vote. We think at 12 o'clock to get a speaker in the House. Go, uh, Republican Governor Doug Bergram is here. He wants to be the next president. Battling it out in the primaries. Your reaction to your party, to me, the biggest embarrassment, these eight standing up and blowing up Kevin McCarthy. I would, And people want to say it's Democrats. No, this is Republicans. I mean, what is your take on that? Does anyone ever play a team sport in the House? Well, I'm not sure, but this is a, a time when Republicans need to be leading and we don't have a leader. And this is the kind of thing that the Democrats exploit. The Democrats love this when we fight with each other. Why wouldn't they? I mean, it, it's, we're just we're handing, we're handing them another uh, – we're basically handing them the keys to the House for next term because if they're saying, hey, well, you guys had a small majority, but you couldn't even hold it together. So which is why we need – got a new leadership in the White House, and we have to have Republicans that stay together and think because what's killing this country – is Joe Biden's policies. And the way that we fix that is when you have a Republican majority, you stick together and you actually pass you pass legislation that helps break the back of those policies. So you say you were saying to me on those uh, debate stages, you created more jobs than anybody else up there, not just anybody else, more than all of them combined. I mean, when you take a look at the companies, uh, Great Plains, Avalara, Microsoft, uh, Atlassian, all the jobs where I've been chairman, CEO, corporate officer over the course of my career, we're talking tens and thousands of high-paying jobs that have been created uh, mm-hmm. across all those directly and then secondarily because of the partner channels, I mean, in, in, in what's going on around the world. I mean, I, when I'm campaigning ever, I have people I have people that show up in Dallas, in right. New Hampshire, whatever, and they say, I'm here today to support you because I wouldn't. I built my company. I was with some guys uh, here in New York, they've got 400 people working for their company, and they started out as you know two mm-hmm. entrepreneurs building a partnership for us almost 30 years ago. You were saying you were on the field at the Jet game, and you saw this guy named Aaron Rodgers who has the same injury as you. You both tore your Achilles tendon. Yes. What was the conversation like? Well, I just told him, I said, hey, uh, you're my inspiration uh, because he says he's coming back, and and I mean that would defy all odds. I mean, he's throwing Kevin, without a boot, right? He was, and uh, Kevin and Kevin Durant was uh, took him twelve months to get back to the NBA. But Aaron Rodgers says they're telling me I can't make it back. But he said he said I don't listen to him. I'm coming back. I and, said, man, that's great. And now uh, that's pretty good since they beat the Eagles. Now he feels like he's got a real shot. Well, yeah, and and I got to throw it in Connor McGovern, the center snapper for the Jets, uh, is Fargo, North Dakota kid. And uh, and they had a great they had a great game and every it's like the presidential race everybody every pundit said the Eagles cannot lose they're gonna win and so uh, think remember when you're telling telling guys like me that they're not they're not going to be there in January then remember what happened with that Jets game so what do you need to get on stage in November named for NBC 
need four things, and we've got three. We've got the polling threshold in Iowa, New Hampshire. We've got the 70,000 donors. Uh, we've got to clear the national threshold. Uh, and just like last time, we'll be there. They said we wouldn't be there, and we've, every time we clear the hurdle, we'll be there again. Your strategy to get your national poll numbers up? Well, we just got to keep getting name recognition, keep coming back on Brian Kilmeade's show. That, right. That's going to that, help us uh, make it happen. That's but, the combination but, for greatness. Yeah. All right, Doug, best of luck. We look forward to seeing you in November. And thanks so much for coming in studio. Thank you, Brian. Always great to be with All you. All right, when we come back, out to Tel Aviv for the latest on the soon-to-be ground war in Israel. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Putin definitely benefits, but even more than Putin, Xi Jinping and Beijing benefit from the United States now being tied down not only in one war, but potentially in a crisis or, God forbid, a regional conflagration uh, in the Middle East. And you have the president of the United States on, on the news last night saying, hey, no problem. We've got this covered. We can walk in Chugum. It was interesting that he said uh, we can take care of Ukraine and the Middle East. He did not mention China. And this whole walk and shoe gum thing is undermined by the administration's own formal defense strategy, which says they can't actually fight multiple wars at the right. same time. Not because we don't want to, but because we don't have the capacity. So Elbridge Colby, the former DOD assistant secretary, it, that's what the Wall Street Journal wrote today. It's kind of an expansive story. I don't necessarily buy into all of it, but they say with the unrest and Hamas's attack on and the reprisal certain to come, that's already happened. 6,000 rockets sent into Gaza. But they say that that's a big advantage because our eyes off the ball in Ukraine and Russia, they're moving forward. Our eyes off the, the ball on China economically, the full court press, the presence of our Navy, as well as the, if they want to go move on Taiwan. Maybe they think we're more vulnerable now that we move a third aircraft carrier to the region. I get it. But if uh, Israel is able to pound Hamas into non-existence and beat the hell out of Hezbollah in the meantime, they've always been confident about these terror organizations sending rockets in from Syria. That whole stop Israel movement will stop. And then we could be in a better stead. And I do think we look weak in Afghanistan. I do think we look weak in fractured at home in financing for Ukraine. I mean, Russia thinks that they can hold out long enough. We'll just stop the aid. Can people understand that are very upset about what happened in Afghanistan, upset by us pulling out rapidly in Iraq and then having to come back again? Don't quit Ukraine, please. Can we stop quitting things and actually going forward? 
That would, to me, make sense. But I don't want to get off the off the pace. I do want to talk about what's happening over there, and that is the president going. To me, this smells like pure politics. If you had Bill Clinton's charisma, George Bush's presence, Donald Trump chutzpah, I get it. But Joe Biden is not a good speaker. He is very gets very tired very quick. He could barely form a sentence with Scott Pelley because he had a four-hour Sunday. We're going to send him now halfway around the world to Israel, Jordan, and Egypt, and then to the West Bank to meet with the Fatah leaders. The, to me, you do that if you have no faith in your State Department, no faith in your national security advisors. I don't see any reason to put the president in jeopardy then, and he's not good one-on-one. What is really going on here? One thing is clear, according to even Politico and other sources, our Secretary of State has had no success in Saudi Arabia. They basically ghosted him. In Egypt, they gave him a history lesson. In Jordan, they said, where have you been? And Qatar, I wouldn't believe a word Qatar says. They are housing the leadership of Hamas. Why would you possibly get them to lead a movement to get our hostages out? But that's what they're trying to do. That's what they are doing. And that, that really bothers me. In terms of bothered, Victor Davis Hanson said this to me on, on the other night. And he just said, look, on Saturday night on One Nation, this is not the response that we should be giving to someone who killed 30 of our people, 30, and captured 14. Cut 10. What kind of uh, mystified about Brian is that I can't recall that number of Americans being killed or taken hostage in the Middle East without a strong muscular reaction from the United States. We haven't even issued uh, an ultimatum to Hamas. We haven't really expressed outrage to Hamas. And I, I, can't, I can't think of any other comparable situation in the Middle East. When we would lose two or three people, an ambassador or they're just CIA people or, or civilians or people would be taken hostages. I mean, this administration was willing to give $6 billion to a terrorist government for six hostages. And can't they at least show some type of concern in the sense of warning Hamas that if they are killing mm-hmm. hostages or if they killed hostages, they're going to regret it for the rest of their brief existences? I don't think you'll ever get the American people upset when you act with strength. We, we spend more in our military than anyone else. We got our better economy, even with our debt, than anyone else. Why don't you act with strength? We gave you that Trump card. Show it. Meanwhile, I don't get why the administration keeps saying Hamas doesn't represent the Palestinian people. Every poll they have, they poll over 50 percent. And if you poll them now after this hit, after this brutal hit that, def- that defies modern, uh, uh, modern civilization, the actually numbers would probably go up. Only 14% support the Fatah, which is the Palestinian Authority. So why do we pretend that Hamas doesn't represent the Palestinian people? I mean, there are probably some people there who don't hate Israel. That's fine. Maybe some of the 18,000 that stream through the fence every day to go to work and then stream right back. Maybe they don't mind. But I don't know if you can separate. I think the president wants to give this money to that uh, Abbas and say, you are the leader of the Palestinian movement. You're the one we're going to deal with. We're going to wipe out Hamas, push him out. We're going to give you power. Abbas hates us. I don't know what they do with the money that we give us, but they probably put it in their pocket. They say Yasser Arafat retired when he died. He was a billionaire, basically on our money. So that doesn't fly with me. 
I also don't understand in the big picture how Intel failed on two counts. Intel failed with America. There is a report that the CIA tried to warn Netanyahu couldn't get to him, which is weird, odd, need to get to the bottom of that. And that somehow you don't tell the Mossad what you see going on. When I see the video of these guys rehearsing this intact operation that was taking place a year ago, and this is right on their border, isn't anyone throwing a drone up in the air? I know Radio Shack went out of business, but that's how easy it is to get a drone. You could just go down and actually get a civilian drone, you would be able to see it. So the big thing is that I wanted to go over, uh, and we'll go over more in the Army, is what's going on with the Speaker and it looks like with the speakers, uh, with the speaker today, Jim Jordan has gotten very close. He's probably within ten of having the votes necessary, considering he only got ninety something going against Steve Scalise and had one thirty to get the nomination after Steve Scalise failed to get two seventeen. Now it's up over two hundred Saturday, and now they say it's even closer. Now they believe that if Speaker Jordan, if Jordan wants to be Speaker, and he puts it to a vote, and he's close. There'll be so much pressure on everybody else to get him out of this extreme embarrassment and avoid a deal with Democrats that they'll pass it. But that is a bit of a that is a bit of a stretch. And that's saying that these Republicans have any sense of embarrassment. I'm not sure they do. They should. When we come back, Lieutenant Colonel Peter Lerner from Tel Aviv. He is the IDF spokesperson is going to be coming your way with the latest. This is the Brian Kilmeade show. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We're watching this very, very closely. We have seen no specific indication that another actor or another state um, is preparing to widen and deepen and escalate this contact, uh, contact, conflict. I'm sorry. And uh, the president's message remains loud and clear. For anybody who's thinking about doing that, don't. Okay. Yeah, that's loud and clear. That's one word. Let's see if it'll be dissuade. It'll dissuade anyone from acting. Uh, let's bring in Lieutenant Colonel uh, Peter Lerner, IDF spokesperson, coming to us from Israel. Uh, Colonel, welcome back. Uh, what is your sense that Hezbollah is up to in the north? Are you are you planning for a two front war? Hi, Brian. Um, well, obviously Hezbollah are up to no good to begin with. I would say that over the last few days we've seen a consistent escalation of their activities, probably at the you know, willing of and guidance of Iran. Uh, we've seen even this morning anti-tank guided missiles fired fired at our forces. There are some casualties, and we are responding in force and then some. Um, Indeed, there is a possibility that there will be an escalation with Hezbollah and and Lebanon. I think the country, the state of Lebanon, they really need to take control of what's going on because, um, you know, they are a sovereign state. It's a different scenario, a different situation from Hamas and Gaza. So I would definitely tell Hezbollah, look closely what we are doing to Hamas how we are dismantling Hamas in the Gaza Strip, and be very wary of crossing that threshold. Um, it would be very, very bad for Lebanon. It would be bad for Hezbollah. So uh, I saw that you took out at least six uh, Hamas commanders who have various uh, various titles. What is the objective right now with the bombing campaign? The number I think you guys gave us was there's been 6,000 hits inside since uh, since October 7th. 
Indeed, uh, we are now here in the midst of day 11 of our campaign against Hamas. The, the goal is to destroy Hamas, its capabilities, pursue its leaders, and, uh, and take out basically all of their operational tools. So they have drones uh, with explosives, they have rockets, they have missiles, they have command and control centers, they have the special forces, the Nukhba force, the commando unit that infiltrated into Israel. So we are pursuing them. We are destroying their capabilities and we're degrading their leadership. I would say that 11 days in, they haven't got a clue what's going on overground. They are in a state of complete disarray. Um, they still have capabilities to launch rockets at us from Gaza. Uh, and, but we are determined to deal with that in order to remove them from the realm of existence. Does it blow you away? Are you surprised on the tactical level they're still able to send rockets into Israel? No, it's a working assumption that they will continue. They will uh, uh, maintain a certain level of um, rocket fire towards Israel. Uh, thankfully, we have the Iron Dome missile defense system, which is a very f effective system and is able to um, intercept the vast majority of those rockets headed toward populated areas. Um, you know, we are used to living in a situation where they fire rockets. So we need to understand that Hamas, as long as they have one rocket left, they will try and fire it. So it's going to be a long, long battle, a long war. We are prepared to fight it. And you know what, Brian? We are committed to winning. We didn't choose this war. They did. But we're going to win it. Uh, listen, there's no, there, uh, I hope everything you said turns out to be 100% correct because no one deserves what you guys went through. No one deserves to live in that neighborhood that you live with such hostility around you. Although I do get the sense that a lot of these nations don't like Hamas and don't really entertain Hezbollah and don't, don't love that Hezbollah has basically taken over Lebanon except for Iran. Do you get that sense too? Well, Iran is a puppet master utilizing all of its proxies in the region to destabilize the, the region. Um, of course, who pays the price? It's the regular Joe. It's the people uh, that just want to get on with life, that pay the price for, the, for these actions. Uh, you know, our role and, and the IDF's role in this is to restore security to the people of Israel. The butchering of babies in their bedrooms can never be tolerated. We won't tolerate it ever again, and that's why we're on a mission to destroy Hamas. So, Colonel, tell me what you could uh, about these reports that Benjamin Netanyahu's the the politicians to his right who are right uh, politically want a scorched earth campaign, and that the U.S. us is pushing you guys to be more measured, take your time. I want to see a humanitarian plan first. Plan first. What could you tell us about these reports? The IDF is a professional military. We work, like you guys, on the basis of uh, distinction, of military necessity, and proportionality. Now, this is the, the, how professional militaries work. The goal is to destroy Hamas, not to scorch anybody's earth. That is what we're doing, and we're doing it in a very, very effective way, strategically, uh, but also drilling down into the different uh, aspects of Hamas's infrastructure from the leaders through the, in the institutions themselves of the organization. You know, Hamas had a government in Gaza that was all subordinated in its in complete entirety 
to the to their terrorist effort, to building, to financing, to equipping the Nukba forces, the drone capabilities, the rocket capabilities. All of this is based on this government of terror. So we're dismantling it. And indeed, there are, you know, the situation and, and the civil situation, the, human, the human, humanitarian situation is not a good situation. But there are a thousand, over 1,300 families in Israel who are grieving. There are around 200 funerals per day here in Israel because of the butchery of Hamas and their strategic decisions. So we are on a, an extensive effort to destroy Hamas. We're confident we can do it. It's not about revenge. It's about our existence. And we will not permit Hamas to ever launch an attack like this against, against us. We will never let them use the Gaza Strip as a staging ground against our people. Uh, like they've done. Uh, so... There's a Rafa opening, they understand, if I have it correct, in Egypt, from Gaza to Egypt. I keep on getting conflicting reports on are they going to open up and set what would be a refugee camp on the other side so Palestinian civilians can get out. Where could you tell me the status of that is? Brian, I, I, you know, I'm the IDF. We, I'm, we deal with the war fighting. The warriors are, are the war fighting. If anything happens on the Egyptian side of the fence, that will be up to the di- diplomats. And I, I prefer to leave the diplomacy to the diplomats. You know, the IDF, if we are instructed to create a humanitarian corridor or a hiatus for supplies for the people of Gaza, you know, the people of Gaza aren't our enemies. It's the government of Gaza. It's Hamas, this ter- ruthless, merciless terrorist organization. And those are our enemies. That's who we're up against. So, But you do that. But don't you also think it's part of your military, Colonel, to not kill civilians? That matters a lot to you? Uh, to what, not wipe out Absolutely. families, and if and if Egypt does not open up that gate, they'll have nowhere to go in the south, making your job harder. Absolutely, our role is to, to, is the distinction between non-combatants and terrorists. Absolutely, we see that as our role. That's why, for the last five days, we've been encouraging people to get out of the area of Gaza City, which is the hub of terror, which is the fortress of of Hamas's terror or in, instruments. And so, you know, that is how we are conducting our distinction between the terrorists and the non-combatants, the civilian population. You know, but again, if Egypt decides to open or uh, to allow um, humanitarian aid through into into Gaza, that will be an issue that the diplomats iron out. Um, And if they do, then the IDF will, of course... uh, know how to facilitate it on our side. So the Secretary of State's been doing shuttle diplomacy. Evidently, he got a lecture from Egypt. He got the cold shoulder from Saudi Arabia. I don't know how much you can believe from Qatar, being that they house Hamas um, Hamas leaders there. So they're supposed to negotiate, uh, air quotes, some hostage release. So he has not had much success diplomatically met with Fatah, who has no popularity even among the Palestinians, and as well as the Jordan leader. So why is the U.S. having so little success diplomatically? Has, has the stock dropped that much in the region? No, I don't really. I can't judge uh, the U.S. diplomacy. I'm you know, IDF, the Israel Defense Forces. Our focus is fighting and killing the terrorists that perpetrated the attack. Uh, we have, just as we were speaking a few moments ago, we had some more sirens up north in, uh, in Israel. And that is our point of focus, as I said, the diplomacy for the diplomats, the war fighting for the warriors. And I'm here to talk about what we're doing as the idea. Can you win a two-front war? 
the IDF can, can win a multi-front war. We're prepared and we have all of the tools in order to do so. Yeah, uh, we're confident we can do that. As painful as that would be, it would be a way to wipe out all your enemies in one war uh, rather than put off the one war for a, a short amount of time because you know Hezbollah is just going to start rattling at your cage again. Uh, it's a very trying time. So glad you're in charge and so glad you shared your time with our audience. Lieutenant Colonel Peter Lerner from Israel, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. Have a good day. All right. Uh, go to briankillmeatshow.com. Find out about Teddy and Booker T, how to get the book, and where I'll be. Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. I come to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, just four blocks away, sadly, where they say the epicenter of this anti-Israeli protest and the celebration of the Hamas attacks took place. I mean, I can't get my head around this because it is as if we saw al-Qaeda or ISIS celebrate the 9-11 attacks. Uh, I can't believe how prevalent it is. And it's not just in the U.S. It's also in the U.K., Australia. I did notice it, and I know you have noticed it. So uh, we have uh, with us this hour Ambassador Michael Oren standing by, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West at the border. And then we'll do a simulcast at Stuart Varney and find out about how this all affects us economically. This just in and handed over. Politico is now reporting that attackums that were just delivered to Ukraine have just surprised the Russians and blown up, it looks like, nine of their helicopters in eastern Ukraine. Yep, move it back, because we finally, a year and a half late, are giving the rockets to push the Russians out, who are on the offensive again. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Jordan's either on the first or the second ballot tomorrow. He will be the speaker. I think uh, Speaker McCarthy has a pretty good sense of exactly where they are. There are a handful of, of moderates, frankly, who are so angry at the Benedict Arnolds who created this mess. I don't blame Newt Gingrich for, for saying that. Today we could be the day we actually get a speaker. Could it be Jim Jordan? Word is he was a little bit heavy-handed over the weekend, and people are resentful. It might take a few rounds, maybe more. Number two. You see these demonstrations supporting Hamas in the United States of America. You get reports of babies being murdered, all this other stuff, and your first instinct is to go out and praise the terrorists. Uh, that is a little crazy. Anti-Israeli protests crop up around the world and at home, especially on college campuses, which is utterly astonishing to me. And now that big buck donors are stepping up so horrified, like Governor Huntsman saying we're no longer giving to University of Pennsylvania. We'll discuss it. Number one. Secretary of State Antony Blinken announced the president's travel last night. He's going to be leaving later on today, making his second trip to a war zone in his time in office, this time to Israel, to show the U.S. support for Israel and also what Blinken called our ironclad commitment to their security. Yep, Gaza invasion delay as President Biden announces he's going to the region. First stop Israel as thousands of American troops prepare to mobilize. We'll bring you the latest, and we'll do that with Ambassador Michael Oren. Welcome, Ambassador. I can agree with you, Brian. Hi. Uh, Ambassador, uh, why do you think that you, you know the diplomacy better than almost everybody, uh, especially of this region, uh, anybody around? Why do you think it seems as though Secretary of State Blinken has so, had such little success with Jordan, Egypt, and Saudi Arabia. Cold shoulder from Saudi Arabia, a history lesson from Egypt. Uh, 
And now, you know, I don't know what he expected to do with Fatah, but met with them. Why is he having such little success? Would you characterize it differently? Because I think the, the general public opinion among Arab populations in the Middle East is, is with the Palestinians. I would go so far as to say they're with Hamas. The governments aren't. Uh, Hamas threatens these governments as well, uh, including the Palestinian government in, in, in Judea and Samaria in Ramallah. Mahmoud Abbas, the president of the Palestinian Authority, is alive <laughs> and kept from assassination uh, from Hamas by the Israeli military and Israeli security forces. Um, the Hamas is also linked to the Muslim Brotherhood and to Iran, uh, and those two entities threaten uh, most Arab governments, whether it be in Egypt uh, or in the Gulf. Um, so that's why Lincoln is having a very hard time there. It's not easy. I think what the, these Arab leaders are probably saying to him is something like, you know, we want to help you quietly, but don't make us do it publicly. True. They also are upset and uh, that reportedly they're not, not a more even-handed approach. We have had no interest in helping the Palestinian Authority who have shown no interest in helping themselves. And and because of that, they say this set up this type of explosion. Your reaction? It's just not true. I mean, Hamas uh, hates the Palestinian Authority. Hamas hates peace. Every time we've had any peace process, and I've been around a long time, Brian, I, I go back to the uh-huh. Oslo process in 1993. I was a, an advisor to Robbie. And every time we made any progress in peace, it was, it was Hamas that came up and blew up people. They actually killed a lot of Palestinians. They killed hundreds of Palestinians in 2007 when they took over the Gaza Strip, Hamas. So it, it, it's... It's not true. If there, were, if there was an ideal peace process and we had a Palestinian state living side by side in peace with Israel, Hamas would attack us with even greater force. Why is it, though, when every time you see a poll, uh, it's Fatah who has such little support, 14 percent. The last one in 2021 had 53 percent approval for Hamas. Oh, is that those yeah, polls to be believed? higher? It's probably higher. Two reasons. One is that the, the Palestinian government in Ramallah is corrupt, perceived as corrupt. It's perceived as ineffective, not caring about the people anymore. And, and Hamas is perceived as standing up to Israel, standing up to the world, um, you know, armed struggle. Uh, it's very emotional. And Hamas at least was in the past less corrupt. Now, no, no more. But if our message from the White House is not all Palestinians, let's separate Palestinians from Hamas, is that really the correct way to characterize it, as if it's just these thugs on the corner that are the problem, not the people in the town? It's not. Give me, uh, let's, let's sharpen the point a little bit. Um, as far as Israeli public opinion is concerned, there, there aren't many innocent Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. Uh, they, they voted for Hamas. They voted over and over again for Hamas. They loved Hamas, uh, and they celebrated whenever Jews were killed by Hamas, and many of them actually participated in the attack. Of October 7, it wasn't just Hamas terrorists. It was a lot of just people who joined in it and, and, and murdered and robbed and maimed. So not a tremendous amount of uh, support here for the Palestinian people, which is one of the tasks that Tony Blinken is going to have. He's going to have to convince the Israeli government to go against that public opinion and give aid to these Palestinians. That's, that's, not an, that's, that's what's called in diplomacy a heavy lift. But it is wrong to characterize, the, to make too big a distinction between Hamas and Palestinians because Hamas is so popular among the Palestinians. You know, Mahmoud Abbas, the president, is in the 18th year of his four-year term, and he won't stand for re-election because he knows Hamas will win. I understand that we just had a report of a uh, killing of a, a lead Hamas, um, um, a lead Hamas, one of those leaders just been killed uh, from one of your airstrikes. We had Trey Yings just report it. Can you tell us anything about that? We have targeted all the leaders. This was a a tactical leader, an actual military commander. But no 
Hamas commander, whether it be underground in a hospital, under a hospital in Gaza, that's where they put their headquarters under hospitals, or living in a you know multi-million dollar villa in Qatar, which is where the top leadership lives in great luxury, none of them ever will be safe. I hope not. Uh, so what do, what do you character, how would you characterize the reasons uh, for the delay? You got hit on October 7th. And here we are uh, in the middle of October, uh, October 17th, and there has been no offensive. What do you think? The, how would you tell our audience the reason is for that? Well, there's no, there's no ground offensive. I mean, the, the Israeli Air Force has carried out 6, hundreds 000, yeah. of uh, aerial sorties. Uh, and the Israeli ground forces, artillery is, is shelling. Uh, Israeli Navy is shelling from the sea. So we just haven't had a ground incursion yet, and there there are several reasons for it. Um, one of them is we have to build up a reserve force. Uh, we have now called up 360,000 reserves from Azimuth, which in addition to a standing army of about 125,000, brings us up to about the level of the coalition forces in the, in the Gulf War of 2003. That's how many people here. Uh, so we have to build that up. Those people have to be trained. They have to be fully equipped. Usually when you go to battle, and I've done this several times, they give you a couple of days training to make sure you remember everything you're supposed to remember. And, uh, and you try out your weapons and you try out your tactics. So that takes time uh, and setting that up. Secondly is to give the time for the Palestinians in the battle zone to flee the battle zones. Because this is, these are not like leafy suburban neighborhoods, Brian. These are killing zones. These are alleys. And, and, and ruins that are filled with mines and booby traps and, um, and enfilades. And, but that, that's the least of it. The biggest fighting will not be on top of the ground. It's going to be below the ground where, where Hamas has dug uh, kilometer after kilometer of, my, of tunnels and bunkers. Uh, all of them, all of them are attack bunkers, all of them attack tunnels. We're going to have to fight underground. So we can't do that if there are a million Palestinians living there. We're going to end up, you know, inadvertently killing so many of them, which is precisely what Hamas wants. Hamas is actually preventing the Palestinian civilians from fleeing the area because they, they, they want to win on two counts. They want to kill our people, and they want us to kill their people so that we'll get branded as war criminals, and the, cease, and the U.N. will impose a ceasefire on us. Now, that's so, just what they want. They're smart. Uh, so that's why we have to wait for these people to flee the area. Uh, Ambassador Oren, uh, there's no doubt about it. Hezbollah has not let a day go by without some type of shelling, whether they're trying to blow up your cameras or trying to get, uh, they're trying to target the Sheba farm area. So do you expect, is Hezbollah mobilizing in a way that makes you think yeah. they're ready for mm-hmm. to go offensive on you guys in the north as soon as you go into Gaza? It, we can't rule it out. I, I would give it a high probability. Um, and I've even gone so far as to, success, to, to uh, suggest in the Israeli press that when they think about attacking Hezbollah first, only because Hamas is not going anywhere. It's trapped, and we can keep on pounding them um, and leave them for a later stage. Um, but Hezbollah is a – in terms of threat to Israel, they have 10 times as many more rockets. Those rockets are much more accurate. They have a fighting force that is, um, has fought in Syria for the last 10 years, you know, complicit in the killing of a half million Syrians. Uh, they will easily do to the people of our, of our northern towns and cities what the Hamas did to the south, a greater threat. And uh, we have this force mobilized, which doesn't happen every day, with two U.S. aircraft carriers uh, not far from our coast. So this is, this is an opportunity. I've suggested it. But I think the glycular scenario is that we will do the ground incursion into Gaza, and if Hezbollah joins that fight, and again, I think it's likely we will respond on the northern front as well. So I want you to hear what Victor Davis Hansen said, military historian, Hoover Institute, uh, cut 11. I think we have to take a really hard look at Iran. 
I really do. I, I, I don't think that we can go on with Iran like this. And I think our European allies understand that now. And I, the only promising thing is that Iran, no one likes Iran in the world. It's a dangerous theocratic, theocratic state. Even its so-called allies like China and Russia would not lose any sleep over losing Iran's nuclear deterrent. So I think that's going to, we have a rendezvous with Iran sooner or later. We, and I, I think this, right. uh, this war in Gaza is only uh, highlighted that reality. It's, it's an unpleasant reality, but there it is. So that's Victor Davis Hansen's conclusion. If you concluded the same thing, if higher-ups in the Israeli government concluded the same thing? Well, we concluded it about 20 years ago. <laughs> we knew that these are all proxy wars with, Don, with, with Iran. We know that Hezbollah is wholly owned and operated by Iran. So is the Islamic Jihad organization in Gaza. And Hamas is, is, is funded and trained by Iran. So this is a proxy war. We're actually in our first Israel-Iran war. Um, and the question is, you know, the question is, is going to take a long time for America, particularly under democratic administrations, to acknowledge that. And um, I think really the, tra the, the transformation has occurred in the last couple of days when, when uh, President Biden gave his historic speech in, in support of Israel. And it was quite a speech. I would say it was one word he didn't say. He didn't say Iran. But now Secretary Blinken is openly saying Iran. And uh, I think that this, you know, Mugged by reality. What can I say? I'm totally mugged. Uh, uh, there's just no way that Iran is going to be what some people used to say would be a responsible regional power. No, it is a terrorist state. It's a terrorist state that, that is the largest state sponsor of terror in the world. And it's not just rhetoric. They do it. They kill people. So how? People. So so they they're not one for big going directly at you. They can be intimidated. Soleimani uh, gets hit. They responded to all types of reprisals. It was almost nothing. Uh, they were yeah. being starved of their revenue, their oil revenue. That has all changed, but they've still got their hostage deal, the $6 billion. Those, they got their five guys out, and I think they're all still here in America, able to use their green cards to continue to go back to spying. They're getting the exact wrong message <laughs> from what's going on right now, Ambassador. So well, when, when the president fair, comes to visit, what, what do you hope he gets told? Yeah, you know, it's this, uh, this, is what, this has been our our message to the United States for many years, including the high, very high-level discussions in which I participated, that uh, our American counterparts will say, listen, if we give them money and we treat them with respect, they will become a, a responsible regional power. And we responded by saying, no, no, they are who they are, and they, their essence is terrorism. You can give them all the money in the world. They're going to use it for terror, and, uh, and they'll see the respect you give them as weakness. And they'll take advantage of it. And they have. They have. Unfortunately, we were right on this. We made some of the same mistakes vis-a-vis -vis Hamas. We thought if we paid them a lot of Qatari money, they, they'd, uh, they'd focus on governance. They didn't. We used the money for terrorism. So, you know, I can't fault the Americans entirely. We made the same mistake. But, uh, you know, it's true. It is about time. I hope the world will wake up to it. Right now, recently, the Iranians have been led into the BRIC organization. Uh, they have signed a strategic uh, alliance with uh, with russia they've signed a 400 billion dollar 25 year uh treaty with china um there's a whole access there so it's not just the united states standing up to iran by sending naval forces to this area um the united states is sending a message i think a very good message which you know america is back after withdrawing for 10 years and you know letting the russians go into ukraine and the chinese into the south side of china chi china China Sea and threatening Taiwan, America's back into projecting power. Um, and, you know, from Israel's perspective, that's a very positive thing. So what, what is accomplished by the president's visit? 
Well, here it's it's viewed in two ways. It, it's, I'll give you a little Hebrew lesson. It's two words. It's a chizuk and a chibuk. <laughs> a chizuk is a shot in the arm. It's a, a, a you know, sort of vote of confidence, uh, a show, a demonstration of support. A chibuk is a, is, is a bear hug. And a bear hug is saying, you know, I'm going to hold you tight so you don't do things that, that I don't want you to do. And um, I think the president's coming here to uh, certainly get a commitment from Israeli leaders uh, to give that type of aid, right. water and food to Palestinian refugees, something the Israeli public does not want to do, especially since the, the terrorists have our hostages. They have 200 hostages. By giving them food and water, would you give food and water to, you know, to bank robbers that had 200 hostages there? That, that's I what I worry. Know. He's going to try to slow you guys down, and they already have. And maybe, you know, maybe it'll get, get us to think about a lot of things. Uh, so that's the chibuk. That's the bear hug. So it's both. Um, um, you know, I, as a citizen, I'm, I'm appreciative of the of the chizuk, of the shot in the arm, very much so. Um, but also as a citizen, I I want to see us get this job done, as painful and, right. and arduous as it's going to be. I hear you. Ambassador Michael Warren, always educational talk to you. Thanks so much for the insight. Appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. Really, eight, thank you. You Take got it. one 866 Your call's next. Then we got to Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. He'll tell us what's happening at the border and this military confrontation we might be going directly into. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We're just watching these uh, turn of events. Just so interesting. You can't take your eye off the ball in Ukraine. And people think it's to Russia's advantage, maybe. Technically, but that hasn't stopped the Ukrainians from fighting just because the rest of the world isn't concentrating. And believe me, no one's got to tell Germany, Poland, and the surrounding nations that there's a problem in Ukraine and Russia's advancement. But they are moving forward. But get this: we evidently sent them the attackums, which are great with the, which are rockets that go a much longer distance. So they're able to keep a lot of their uh, their weaponry, a lot of their armor closer to the border because we didn't have attackums to give them. Well, evidently, we snuck in, gave them attackums. And the Ukrainian military has now said the U.S. supplied longer-range missiles struck nine Russian helicopters in eastern Ukraine. Nine. Uh, the delivery used on the battlefield confirmed by two people familiar with him marks a major ramp-up of the administration's defense of Ukraine. Now, I'm for the attackums. I'm for the F-15 fighters. I'm for uh, the HIMARS. I'm for the Patriots. Guess who wasn't? This administration... Three days, hey, Zelensky, we'll get you right out. We heard, we saw what happened in Afghanistan. We know you're going to lose again. Really? You want to fight? Okay. Good luck. You're holding them out of Kiev? Fantastic. You need missile defense? Uh, I'll think about it. You need HIMARS? Maybe. Yes, 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 yes. Eventually. If you gave them everything right away, you would not be trying to get the house to give you more money today. Brian Kilmeade Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I don't understand this uh, attempt to downplay Iran's role and sweep it under the rug. Iran is behind all of this. Their fingerprints are all over this. Iran provides $150 million per year to Hamas and weapon systems that they use to kill innocent civilians in Israel. Uh, of course they're behind this. All their proxies, Hamas is a proxy of Iran. Hezbollah's a proxy of Iran, and the Iran-backed Shia militias uh, in, in Iraq and elsewhere are all backed by Iran. So the idea that they're somehow not behind this really defies common sense. 
It does, and it's an insult. It's an insult to people that follow it, care about it, and don't want to be hit again because of it. If they just don't want to admit that their policy has utterly failed. It's like if George Bush was determined to be an education president, but when 9-11 happened, he quickly went on a war footing. He was a wartime president. Can you imagine if he says, no, I'm going to go back to education? That's as severe as this president saying, my Iran policy was working out fantastic. Joining us now, a man who knows that's not the truth, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, American Constitutional Rights Union Executive Director. Uh, Welcome back, Colonel. Good to be with you, Brian. Thanks so much. So, I mean, how soon? You can't just go out there and just start bombing Iran. I get it. How soon do we just welcome this, we just admit that we need a change of policy? Well, I don't think this administration is going to do so because, as you know, this administration wants to go back into the Iranian nuclear agreement. Uh, the you know dismissal of and not enforcing the sanctions allowed you know once again Iran to sell oil and increase their oil revenues, which benefits Hamas and Hezbollah, and of course that additional six billion dollars. But remember, Brian, we are at the 40th anniversary of what happened in the Beirut uh, barracks bombing, where about 243, maybe 250. Soldiers, sailors, and Marines lost their lives there. And after receiving that $6 billion just last month in September 11th, Iran came out and said, yeah, we were totally uh, complicit in that, and we helped in the planning, and that was Hezbollah. And even in Iraq, we know about General Soleimani, but also the EFPs, the Explosive Force Penetrators, those IEDs that were so deadly to our servicemen and women in Iraq, those came from Iran. So Iran has a history of going out and not just supporting uh, Islamic terrorism, but really uh, supporting the killing and the maiming mm-hmm. of uh, American citizens. Uh, and this is just another iteration. Outside of the direct rocket attack on Saudi Arabia, which is inexplicable about five, six years ago, we know they're the enemy. Mm-hmm. We didn't know what prompted that. Uh, but uh, just besides just constant tensions with the Houthi rebels, who this administration yep. decided not to label a terrorist organization, uh, they most for the most part they do not like direct confrontation. Adam Bowler, who worked for Trump and was in on the Abraham Accords, kind of lead negotiator, said this to me uh, over the weekend. Cut eighteen. I think that's pretty empty. I mean, the truth of the matter is, look at what happened when we killed Iran's number two guy. Right, we killed Al Salmani in Iraq, and they fired a missile that missed our base and didn't kill anyone because they knew what we would do if they fired the missile. Uh, Iran really likes to instigate. They have a little bit harder of a problem backing up their threats. Is that true? No, I think he's absolutely right. Uh, They're looking at circumventing any type of direct confrontation because they remember the last direct confrontation they had with the United States of America was with Ronald Reagan when uh, one of their uh, surface mines hit uh, an American uh, naval warship, and Ronald Reagan unleashed the United States Navy against them. They don't want to see that. But what they're banking on is the weakness of this president and this administration who, you know, was just recently denying any type of Iranian involvement in what we saw happen in Israel on October the 7th. So I think that they, in a way, you know, fear an American response, but they don't fear the response of America from this current, uh, you know, administration. Axios is reporting this, that, uh, excuse me, the Washington Post is, officials waited to announce that President Biden's going to go to Israel on Monday night until they receive commitments from Benjamin Netanyahu himself on the humanitarian package. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken received assurances during that marathon meeting of seven and a half hours in Tel Aviv this week and then made the announcement that Biden will be visiting. I do not like President Biden forcing 
using leverage on Benjamin Netanyahu. Do you? No, I don't, and I don't think that's his place. You know, how would we feel if Benjamin Netanyahu were to say that, you know, I'm not going to come and visit the United States of America until you give concessions to the cartels, uh, even though they have been yeah. responsible with the fentanyl, the human and drugs, uh, the sex trafficking. So, no, Joe Biden should not make these concessions. And when you think about the consequences to what uh, Hamas did, leave it up to Israel. You know, it was 2005 when Israel, you know, exfiltrated, you know, left Gaza. And what has happened over the last 18 years since 2005, attack after attack after attack, and now we have the worst day for Israel since the Holocaust. And we also have 29 Americans that were killed. I would rather see Joe Biden go over and say, hey, look, we stand shoulder to shoulder with you. What do you need? We're here to back you up. Do you need intelligence support? Do you need special operations support? Do you need augmentation of our uh, fixed-wing aircraft to go after these Hamas rocket sites? That's the message that you sent. Yeah, that's what I would assume. I think the American people would back him on that. To me, this is what I this is what I think. The only reason that the 80-year-old is going to go over to a war zone, which is risky if you're 50 and JFK JFK, uh, is if you this is politics. He's looking trying to yeah. look like a guy in charge. There is no reason for him to go to Israel. That's why you have a Secretary of State, a Secretary of Defense. There is no mm-hmm. reason for him to go. This is all show. Now, what is he going to say to the Fatah, uh, Abbas? You're the new leader with 14% approval rating among the Palestinians. He's a corrupt clown who lost, who's way over the hill. And then in Egypt, what's he going to say to al-Sisi? You better open up your border. What's he going to say to MBS? They don't have any respect for Biden at all. So I, I don't get what he's doing. Why is this worth the risk? Well, it's not worth the risk, but what they're looking at is the political optics that you just brought out to try to now all of a sudden say, you know, this is a wartime president and look how brave he is. He went uh, to Ukraine. uh, Now he's going to Israel. But the bottom line is who cares about the optics if your policies don't change? And what I'm really concerned about, Brian, is the fact that we are purposefully and intentionally giving up the sovereignty and the operational control of our border. And we're allowing these sales to be established here with the single military age males that this Biden administration has allowed into the United States of America is highly disconcerting. Right. I want you to hear even ABC's Rian Salam said this on Sunday, uh, cut 19. It's really important for people to understand the wider context. I want your viewers to understand that in January 2021, Iran was exporting something along the lines of 700,000 barrels of oil per day. Mm-hmm. Now that number is about 3x that amount. That translates into tens of billions of dollars in incremental revenue, where Iran was previously in a box under a, a campaign of maximum pressure. Now Iran has the resources not just to deal with domestic economic challenges, not just to rebuild its nuclear program, which is, it has done emphatically, but also to finance its various terrorist proxies. So is he right? He's absolutely right. And not not only that, I mean, now we have the Biden administration, you know, easing off on sanctions on Venezuela, allowing them to sell their dirty crude oil here instead of allowing us to become energy independent. So, yes, the policies that we have seen have enabled, you know, Hamas and Hezbollah to benefit from the return on investment that we have enabled for uh, for Iran. I mean, there was a point in time when Hezbollah was basically out there doing bake sales and, and having lemonade stands to try to raise money 
because the Trump administration had so constrained and restricted the revenues flowing into Iran. They are the number one sponsor of Islamic terrorism. And now Biden, he can travel over to Israel all he wants. But the thing that he has to come to understand is what he is witnessing is the return on investment of what he has done with Iran. So I want you to hear with some of these protests uh, rising up in all these major cities and campuses for the Palestinians, for Hamas, I find so perplexing and aggravating. Listen to some of these guys speak about why they're doing what they're doing. For example, at Georgetown, cut 22. Do you feel like Israel is the aggressor in this situation? If we talk, if, if we talk a step back before the Hamas attack, um, I think Israel has a lot to be uh, condemned uh, about. Uh, they have been doing uh, massacres for decades. I hold responsible the Israeli state for, for, for their apartheid on, on Gaza for, since 2006 because they, they have been uh, increasing their military occupation in, in Gaza and they have been treating, uh, the, uh, treating uh, the people in Gaza like they are not humans. So they're blaming Israel. Your thought on this? This is going everywhere. Harvard, Pennsylvania, Yale, yeah. Hunter, well, it, NYU, Columbia. Hopefully I don't get you kicked off the air, but what a dumbass, okay? Israel has not been in Gaza since 2005. And furthermore, when you look at these young people, what about the young people that were there at a music festival for peace and love? And then all of a sudden you have uh, Hamas terrorists paragliding in and just indiscriminately kill them and raping young girls next to dead bodies. I mean, don't the young people here in America understand that? So this is the great work of propaganda uh, and these people that don't understand. But, Brian, we're getting to a point where freedom of speech cannot be you go out and you support a terrorist organization that has has the blood of Americans on their hands. Yeah, we wouldn't have tolerated al-Qaeda or ISIS. Why are we tolerating this? Colonel Allen West, thanks thanks for your perspective. We'll do some with Barney and Company in a moment. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Barney and Company with Stuart Barney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Yeah, I'll be with Stuart shortly. And keep in mind, on the back end, I'll be able to take some calls. And also, BrianKilmeade.com. Teddy and Booker T comes out. Uh, at which time I'll be in the local area, Red Bank, New Jersey, in the New York area. Hopefully be around you on WOKV uh, in Ponte Vedra uh, right after that, November, early in November. And then I'll be going out to, uh, you'll see me in Michigan, you'll see me in Illinois, and uh, hopefully everywhere else. And there's a whole bunch of book signings. So it's my opportunity to get to see you guys in person and talk about American history the right way, the accurate way, uh, and understand how great this country is. So let's listen in right now as Stuart Varney introduces me. Treasury. Straight up today, you're now looking at 4.83%. All right, 10.51 Eastern, Kilmeade time. Brian, Donald Trump calling for tougher immigration restrictions. He wants to expand the travel ban on Muslim-majority uh, countries. His travel ban, by the way. A lot of pushback on those comments. What say you? I don't know. Uh, same. Governor Santos said something similar. Say, look at it. When it comes to the refugees uh, with the Palestinians, they shouldn't come here. Let's stay in the Middle East. He comes out and says, listen... They're, they they have this anti-Semitic pr- uh, approach to things, not everybody, but most, and we can't take the risk. There's already so many protests. And what he's basically doing is a version of what President Trump has said. Uh, when the war on terror is raging and it seems to be kicking back into gear, we should look at who's coming here, especially what comes through our southern border. Uh, with President Trump, he also looks at sanctuary cities. Everyone thought, well, that's a little over the top. Now how does that look? 
So we look at he sued, they sued to get their sanctuary status. Now every one of these cities is turning around and going, man, I, the sanctuary status thing is not really going well for us. So what Trump is trying to do is say, can we get control of our immigration laws and stop looking out for the people here, especially after they saw the horror that happened right outside the Gaza line? That's what, that's what a lot of these extremists are capable of. Until you show me a system that can effectively screen, he's saying, let's look at this. Now, the way the president did the travel ban was terrible in his first year. He just basically just said it. And all of a sudden, we're like, what is going on here? Hopefully, he knows how to implement things better now, if he was to become president again. Uh, picking up on what you said about the border, we're, what, just two weeks, just over two weeks into October. And already, we have 16,000 known gotaways, four Iranians on the terror watch list just caught at the border. There's a terrorist. If there is a terrorist incident linked to the open border, politically, Joe Biden is toast. And he should be. And he should be. What he has done at the border is worse than any single policy that I can remember outside his exit from Afghanistan. This should destroy any other candidacy in any party, which is why the mayor in New York City is divorcing himself from it. The governor of New York is running from it. The governor of Illinois is running for the hills because of it. And you're not going to see anybody in Pennsylvania doing anything different. And people look and say, wait a second. Governor DeSantis over in Florida seems to have cracked down effectively. In Oklahoma, they're not having these issues. But California, a total disaster. That's, to me, the proof. The proof in what policy is effective. And I don't know if you've noticed over the weekend, Stuart, but 60 Minutes did an immigration story. You know what they did it on? How dare you load people in a plane and bring them to Martha's Vineyard 18 months ago? What was really behind that? That is the one immigration issue you think the American people care about? Rich people first to deal with 39 people from another country who had a private jet ride to a luxurious island vacation? That, to me, is, shows how, how warped people's minds are, how detached they are for what me, Americans care about. I think you got that right, Brian. Thanks for your input today. We'll see you again real soon. You got now it. this. Stuart Varney. Let's go out to Joe in Jacksonville. Hey, Joe. Hey, Brian. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I'd like to uh, recommend a man uh, for the uh, Speaker of the House, since you don't have to be a member of the House. I would like to recommend a man named Jonathan, Jonathan Lee Iverson, who is the uh, first black uh, ringmaster for Barnum and Bailey Circus. Now, you know, what a perfect cho- uh, choice, a black man that can work with clowns. Well, I don't know what the color someone's skin has to do with it, but it is a total clown show. I am. Uh, everyone should be so embarrassed by those eight who stood up and decided that Kevin McCarthy wasn't doing everything that they like and ousted him despite the people of 210 saying he's doing a great job. And it's hurt this country, uh, Joe. There's no doubt about it. It's hurt this country. And it's hurt the party. And they deserve everything they get. Uh, Matt Gates and company for acting selfishly and personally. And saying that Kevin McCarthy is actually, well, he didn't implement appropriations bills and he needed a CR to get it done. Well, how many people are working on an appropriations bill right now? None. You didn't like the way he was doing impeachment? You thought it wasn't comprehensive enough? How many people are working on the impeachment inquiry? None. How many people are working on getting a budget in order, cutting down the deficit or coming out with a way to seal the border? None. How many, how many, uh, in, how many aid packages have been sent to Israel after these horrible terror attack? Nothing. So all these people who acted away, I'd be embarrassed if I was related to them. Now it's up to them to go rally around Jim Jordan. 
And I was just watching one lawmaker. They say he's got around 205 votes. He needs 217. I was watching one lawmaker that said Jim Jordan had his people trying to intimidate others and bang them into submission. And these guys and these women are saying, wait a second, you're not going to do that. I got some pride, too. You're not going to demand I vote for you. So, again, it seems to be turning people off because we're in this mess. People wanted to blame Kevin McCarthy because you needed 15 rounds. When it turns out he was the only one that could have gotten through in 15 rounds. Do you know most of these, most every Republican, 70 percent of every Republican in the House is there because Kevin McCarthy either recruited them or fundraised for them? And that's why they were so in support of him. But he didn't. He only has five, six margin of error. So that's what's happening today. We're going to see a vote at 12. And let's see if it gets even more embarrassing or if it's going to be one or two votes, one or two rounds, and that's it. But if not, Mike Turner uh, and I think others are going to call up Democrats and said, let's do some power sharing deal because it's not in the best interest of the country to do this. And Republicans, you work so hard to get just a portion of power after the midterm elections and want to prove that you deserve the Senate and the White House. This is not the way you do it at all. There are a few things out there that are semi-bipartisan, too, especially when it comes to Israel. And now it's even at the border you could win people over for their own political survival. But now you have no opportunity. So listen, uh, let's hope it's behind them. They can get going. And I think even Democrats got to say to themselves, this is enough. Uh, I liked it in the beginning, but now it's now it's really hurting us. Brian Kilmeade Show. Keep it here. Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening. We have a lot to discuss uh, right here in this hour on this Tuesday. We are getting some reports of uh, increased pace of fighting in the north part. Uh, that is with Lebanon, Hezbollah, Lebanon, right in that area. Uh, the Israels are braced for it, but it's also set to penetrate deep into Gaza. They've killed another one of these Uh, Hamas leaders, until they're all dead, they're not going to rest, and I don't blame them. Meanwhile, their political wing stays in Qatar, and I don't uh, understand how they're allowed to do that. But meanwhile, the the Israelis are picking their time to go forward. This hour, we're going to be joined by General Rob Spaulding, talk about the bigger picture, and the great Sandra Smith. And at the top of the hour, I'm going out numbered on television. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Jordan is either on the first or the second ballot tomorrow. He will be the speaker. I think uh, Speaker McCarthy has a pretty good sense of exactly where they are. There are a handful of, of moderates, frankly, who are so angry at the Benedict Arnolds who created this mess. But you should still vote. Vote for Jim Jordan. Get this over with. Today could be the day that Jordan becomes the next speaker. I'm not sure how many rounds it will take. And I'm not sure how angry people are. But they've got to stop embarrassing the country. Number two. You see these demonstrations supporting Hamas in the United States of America. You get reports of babies being murdered, all this other stuff. And your first instinct is to go out and praise the terrorists. It's nuts. The anti-Israel protests crop up around the world and here at home, especially on college campuses, our so-called best colleges from Columbia to Harvard to Yale. What is utterly astonishing to me, and and I'm heartened by, that big buck donors are also outraged and are cutting off their funding. 
Now that gets to them also. Where are the celebrities who are there for Black Lives Matter? Where are they now for Israel? Number one. Secretary of State Antony Blinken announced the president's travel last night. He's going to be leaving later on today, making his second trip to a war zone in his time in office, this time to Israel, to show the U.S. support for Israel and also what Blinken called our ironclad commitment to their security. Gaza, the Gaza invasion delay. President Biden announces he's going to the region. First stop, Israel. Then he's going to go all around. He's going to see if American troops are actually going to mobilize. That is the warning. We will bring you the latest. And we'll do that with a guy that knows all about mobilizing troops, General Rob Spaulding, U.S. Air Force Brigadier General. Uh, and um, he's the author of a book, War, War Without Rules. General, welcome back. Thank you. It's great to be back. So, General, what's your impression of I was a little shocked that the president feels as though it's in his best interest to go there himself. What message is he hoping to send? Well, um, I think what he's trying to do is um, distract from the fact that, you know, the money that Hamas was getting um, was, you know, likely the result of policies that his administration had put into place, whether they be through uh, assistance to the Palestinians themselves or indirectly through uh, Iran. So maybe he goes, and now it turns out our Secretary of State did the tour, went to Saudi Arabia, evidently was ghosted. He went to Egypt, was lectured to, given a history lesson, says you took your eye off the ball and this is what happens. Same thing with Jordan. The same thing with the Palestinian Authority is anything but accommodating. Is he doing this because the Secretary of State failed? Well, I, well, I think the whole thing has been a failure. If you think about it, I mean, the big, the big uh, one of the of, of the group that you just talked about is Saudi Arabia. And if you go back to the beginning of his administration, you know, the change and the and the disruption from the I, what I would call you know historic Abraham Accords um, has basically put us, the United States, in a position where, um, you know, we have to now carry the burden for what's going on in Israel, and that's added to carrying the burden burden for Ukraine. So we've just made very, very bad strategic mistakes uh, across the globe uh, with this administration. I want you to hear what Jake Sullivan said prior to the attack that took the lives of so many. Now it's up to 299 military men and women, and they're up to around... Uh, the exact number is roughly uh, 3,000 wounded, and we have uh, 3,000 wounded and 1,300 Israeli dead. Let's listen. What we said is we want to depressurize, de-escalate, and ultimately integrate the Middle East region. The war in Yemen is in its 19-month of truce. For now, the Iranian attacks against U.S. forces have stopped. Our presence in Iraq is stable. I emphasize for now because all of that can change. And the Middle East region is quieter today than it has been in two decades. So that doesn't really wear well, does it? <laughs> well, it doesn't. You know, um, uh, you know, there was a lot of people saying that Russia was not going to invade Ukraine, and then all of a sudden they did. Uh, now we have an ongoing war uh, in, in Europe. Um, we, you know, the Middle East was quiet you know, a quiet before a storm is what I would call it. And then I think the other thing that's that's really beginning to boil is, you know, China. So 
across all these issues, just because there's nothing going on, you know, in the first part of the administration doesn't mean that they are putting in the pieces to really put pressure on the free world and on the United States, who's supposed to be the leader. So I think we've made bad decisions that are now beginning to um, you know, haunt us. And it all goes back to really the way we pulled out of Afghanistan. It looked like we were just quitting the whole region. And all, the, all of a sudden, the weapons, too, we left behind. There were American weapons turning up in the, hands, uh, in the hands of Hamas. What would be, of course, because the Taliban has no money, and they're selling up their assets, which are our assets that we left behind. Now, you think it's a bigger picture, you told me yesterday on Fox & Friends. You think in the big picture, China and Russia are to gain and it's part, possibly part of a plan. Can you expand on that? Right. So if you go back to the first Cold War, I mean, the Soviet Union was clearly bent on global domination. And I think we have the same thing going on now. So we have the second Cold War. China's bent on global domination. And part of that um, strategy involves Russia, involves Iran, and to a lesser extent, North Korea. And I think what you're seeing play out in the Middle East is the um, is a lot of what Iran is doing, but they're doing it on behalf of and supported by the Chinese. And the same is happening in Europe. And so when you think of the Soviet Union as a military might, uh, obviously it was a most yeah, had the most nuclear weapons you know other than the United States but economically it was a basket case that's not the case for China China has an industrial base you know second to none and it's got a you know 14 trillion plus dollar economy so when you add in the military might and and oh by the way the growing nuclear weapons in China, the massive nuclear arsenal in Russia, and this um, relationship between China, Russia, and Iran, I think you have the makings of something far more powerful than the Soviet Union. And and she is very clear about what he believes the, the future of the world should be, and that is Marxist-Leninism. He, he has not been shy about saying that. So I think that's what we have to start to think about. This is not just about Hamas. Right. It's not just about Ukraine. It is about the globe. Uh, and do you fear that we're bringing too much firepower to the Persian Gulf as we bring in the Eisenhower and Gerald R. Ford? Well, I, I, sir, I, what I think, and this is kind of my point on you know yesterday, is that we're focused narrowly now on <laughs> – on Gaza and really not taking a step back and recognizing the bigger picture and understanding that we're going to have to muster our resources. This is going to be a long fight, and it's going to be across the globe. And if we don't uh, focus on that, the, the, the type of conflict it is, in the same way that we did for the Cold War, the Cold War went over 40 years, and we prepared ourselves. We mustered our strength. We yeah. grew our science and technology on an industrial base. We are not doing that. You know, and that is what I fault the uh, the current administration, and, and to some respects, even the Trump administration was lax in really doing the things necessary to be able to deal with a generational conflict. It's not we're not talking about something that ends in a couple of years. So I do know one thing that's heartening is that China's economy is sucking wind, and there uh, the the Marxist philosophy just is is not a successful one. The model has not worked. And right now, their real estate is going bust. They're putting another stimulus program into play. It doesn't matter. They have built enough for twice the – they've built enough uh, housing for twice their population. They just did make-work projects, 
and now they seem to pay the price. They're arresting the former real estate moguls they used to have. They wiped out all any type of capitalist principles within their communist uh, doctrine, and they are really having a hard time despite pouring money into their military. Does, should that give us hope? Well, I don't think it should give us hope. I think what uh, what she did is he basically recognized um, that they had gotten the things they needed. They got the technology. They got the industrial base. And uh, if you go back to Deng Xiaoping, who said, we're going to bide our uh, uh, bide our time and hide our capability. This has always been in the plan. And so, no, I, I just don't think that they're capitalists. And so um, the, that wealth is not something they're looking for. They're looking for the power that comes along with the industrial base and what that industrial base can give them, which is a very powerful military. So I think they're transitioning from um, you know the China that um, when I lived there back in 2002, uh, that was really focused on economic growth and, and getting science and technology. They're focused on um, military uh, strength and power now, and they're using what they took from the West to build that. But they also have new partners. They have Africa. They have uh, the Middle East. Uh, they have Central Asia in addition to, to Russia and Iran. So they have the resources and markets they need, and they are trying to create um, – if you go back to what we did after World War II with the Marshall Plan, they're trying to recreate that in but, their own But image. isn't it failing, and General Spaulding? Isn't it failing, that Belt and Road from, Program? From, from an, from, from, yes, from, from the standards that we would say it is failing. But from the standards that they want, which is political influence and control, it's not. If you look at who supports uh, Russia in the Ukrainian conflict in the at the UN, far more countries are on the side of Russia than uh, you know, along with the United States uh, with Ukraine. And I would venture to say you probably get the same type of outcome. Uh, with regard to Israel, Israel and, Pal- and Palestine. So I think we have to recognize that they have a different motivation. And the things, while we say, hey, this is a failure, this isn't working by our own standards, they have different standards, they have different goals, and those goals don't align with you know, a, a, health, a healthy free world. Right. I just do think, too, a bad loan's a bad loan. When you don't get paid back off money you have, uh, it does hurt. And I also see that um, they built, they say they built enough how they have 1.4 billion people. They built housing for 3 billion people and they got no women. They have a single birth policy. So they're heading in the wrong direction with their population. If we had a long-term plan, we would wear them out because no one wants to live there and emigrate. Unlike here, sadly, because of our border, we have evidence. Now, when it comes to the Ukraine, this just in, the Ukraine military used U.S.-supplied longer-range missile to strike nine Russian helicopters, so the attackums arrived in secret. They were able to go past what they thought the battle lines were and wipe out some armor of the Russians. Finally, they might be getting what they need to be successful. Why is it taking so long? Well, I think one of the things you have to uh, be concerned about with regard to Russia and Ukraine is you don't want to start a nuclear war. And I think that's the thing that, again, I fault this current administration for because we're not afraid of nuclear weapons and we ought to be. We ought to be thinking about you know just how far we're willing to go in this conflict. This is something we thought about with regard to Vietnam and Korea. Um, ultimately, it wasn't about Vietnam and Korea. It was about the Cold War. And I think we have to recognize we're in another Cold War, and we want that war to stay cold. We do not want a hot nuclear war, and I think that's the issue. On, on China, I think one of the, two of the things that we have to consider is, one, 
We've allowed them to join the global financial, um, uh, you know, uh, institutions, but they don't have a convertible currency. So that prevents them from having a run on their banks like would happen with a normal country. They should have never been integrated with a non-convertible currency. And I think furthermore, on the demographic issues, I think they're exporting a lot of those males into Africa, into Central Asia. They're intermarrying uh, in, uh, with the, the, the women that are in those areas where they're doing a lot of the jobs like construction and manufacturing. So they have plans that, you know, to deal with the, the issues with uh, demographics and, and financial issues that, you know, I think we have to pay attention to. Oh, I didn't know they're, intermi- they're intermingling with African populations in order to expand theirs. Absolutely. Wow. General Spaulding, thanks so much. Look out for the bigger plan while we all have all our eyes uh, on Israel. Thanks, General. Thank you. All right. Uh, when we come back, we'll take your calls. one 408 They're welcome in Sandra Smith. Brian Kilmeade. It's Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The complexity of what they did was really quite extraordinary. Were you surprised by the sophistication of the attack? Yes. Actually, I was more surprised that there just wasn't the awareness of what was being planned. Petraeus was once director of the CIA and can't understand how both Israeli and American intelligence missed preparations for the attack. This is a very substantial operation, and the planning of it alone uh, would have been very considerable. But then the training and equipping and positioning of forces, then the actual conduct of it, that all of that could take place and not spark much increased military readiness is really quite stunning. How do you account for it? Dramatic improvement uh, in Hamas's operational security, very, very creative use of these uh, munitions and capabilities to degrade dramatically, in some cases knock out, the Israeli ability to see what is going on around this quite formidable iron fence that was established. For the very least, it would be safe to say that Israel underestimated its enemy. No question about it. Yeah, so that's General Petraeus who's going to be on with us this week. I'm doing something at the Union Club with him, too, on his new book. It's called Conflict. He just looks at, keeps politics out of it and talks about how how uh, the military and war has improved and Hamas improved. They're evil in every sense of the word, but they pulled this off. Quote, according to Hamas's leadership, we were expecting to get a smaller number of hostages and return, but the army collapsed in front of us, meaning the Israeli army. What were you to do? That, according to Ali Barak, a Beirut-based Hamas representative, who should be arrested immediately, the Israel army has, has become a paper tiger. We'll find out. Uh, the former intel officer with the IDF said the operation was a result of at least two years of planning, a period that included two, uh, two conflicts between the IDF and Palestinian Islamic Jihad, a smaller militant group in Gaza. At the time, Hamas was criticized for standing on the sidelines as um, Islamic Jihad were eliminated by Israel, Israel strikes. But they go ahead and did the hang glider thing. They did the uh, the bulldozer thing. They cut the fence. They had the they had the motorcycles and they had the doom buggies and they hit these defenseless towns. And they predicted, according to their manuals that we found out their dead bodies and they lost over a thousand people. They predicted that within three to five minutes, the Israeli military, uh, military would respond 
and they didn't in great numbers, and they got inside nine bases, which shows you they might have had people on the inside or the intelligence was so great they knew exactly how to get in. Sandra Smith will go over this with me. We're also watching Republicans on the House floor. They're talking about freezing the $6 billion Iran got. They're moving legislation there. Guess who agrees with them but doesn't have the guts to stand there? Senator Schumer, Brian Kilmer. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, Sandra Smith, fresh off filling in for Dana Perino. We'll go do her show, America Reports, at 2 o'clock. And John Roberts is over in Israel, so... We, is he going to be joining you today, uh, uh, Sandra Amazing Smith? coverage so far. He's yeah. going to be reporting on the ground there. Brian, thank you very much for having me, by yes. the way. And I, I remember I requested these ear things to not <laughs> go over my head. You've right. got the special one. I know, I do. Um, but didn't we have a woman on, Allison, that didn't uh, – Eric, you came in there and gave her the <laughs> clip-ons. And one of the anchors goes, no, I want the normal headsets. You know, I could do something like this, right? Okay. Yeah, okay. you could do anyway, that. Anyway, um, so no – Really, really busy morning um, with our continuing coverage of this ongoing conflict there. Mark Esper, uh, the former defense secretary, is going to be joining us top of the 1 o'clock hour this afternoon. We had Nikki Haley on this morning when I was filling in for Dana with Hemmer. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of questions about what's going to happen with those Gaza refugees. Um, Nikki Haley was pressed, or I would say she was was actually slammed by Ron DeSantis, for her comment that half of the Palestinians don't support Hamas, he drew the conclusion that does that mean that you would take in these uh, refugees yeah. uh, into the United States um, when they're fleeing? And she said that that was not her stance, that their surrounding countries should certainly be able to take them in. Um, I think there's huge questions at this hour as the president is expected to make his way to Israel this afternoon on the ground there tomorrow. Um, how do you limit civilian casualties in Gaza, um, you've seen over a million uh, but, already flee the north. But Sandra, the south. do you get worried that this administration is starting to tell Israel how to fight this? It's a fair question. Uh, President Biden was asked about that. Was it uh, sixty minutes over the weekend? Uh, he was asked, "Can we can we handle two right. wars?" Um, this is a huge test of this president's foreign policy. Um, how involved we but we're not get. fighting either. We're just writing checks and providing armament. Well, I just talked to Senator Bill Cassidy of Louisiana, the Republican. He was just on the ground there in this bipartisan group that toured Israel. They went for a couple of days. Um, he said, let's give them what they need. Yeah, let's do it. And we saw this today. Uh, we saw Ukraine got the attackums, used them right away, blew up eight, uh, nine helicopters in uh, in Russia, who's really using this as an opportunity to, to surge forward. But they've been hit because the Ukrainians know how to fight. I just wish we would give them what they need. I really a little disconcerting to see Republicans push back so much on weaponry. Do they prefer Russia wins? I mean, that's what they should be asked. But I'd like to ask you your opinion on what goes on at noon today, roughly, when they're going to vote for a speaker. I saw an interview, I think it was with your show, where a congressman was saying we don't enjoy the heavy-handed way in which Mm. the— Jim Jordan surrogates were pushing people, demanding they vote for him. Mm. So people getting bent out of shape. So what do you think is going to happen? Are we going to look at another 14 rounds today to pick a speaker? Um, something needs to happen. I think Republicans are in a super tough spot here. I think it looks like a mess in Washington. No question. So you can only lose four Republicans, right? Um, who was the congressman we had on this morning? Scott. Um, who? Austin Scott. He was a flip, right? Yeah. Um, so he's throwing his support, says, we just got to get this done. And I think you're going to find a lot of Republicans are there right now. 
I don't know. I'm not going to share my opinion on it because I'm not going to share any opinions. You give me yours, Brian. Well, what I hope, because I can't speak for 217 people, I hope they get behind Jordan. I I thought Steve Scalise is good. I thought Kevin McCarthy was perfect. I mean, when you work to get 70% of the people in your party elected— and what he does with his with his fundraising was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. You can't possibly please 217 people with every vote every time. Mm-hmm. And then for these people working their own interests, it just it, it just is maddening to think the Republicans are pretending as if they have all the power in the House to cut spending, put together their programs, reinforce the border, and in their view now, I guess, stop funding Ukraine. And by Do the, they understand they're not alone in this? I, I think you can tie this all together because, by the way, as we're speaking, there's um, this there, there's Republicans speaking on Capitol Hill right now, these senators who want uh, Biden to freeze around $6 billion. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot happening right now where we cannot take our eye off the ball. What else is happening? You've got uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin meeting today with the Chinese President Xi while all this is going on over there. Let's not take our eye off of Russia and China. And how about our southern border? Um, so this is a major test. And in the middle of that, you've got the president departing for Israel. So, so the um, Wall Street Journal did this major story today and how Israel, Hamas has hit forcing America in to help out the best we can mm. uh, on Israel gives a major advantage to China and Russia, not only in the region, but to do their thing in other regions. I don't necessarily agree that's if we stand still, but by backing Israel, I don't necessarily think that Russia and China will be uh, will benefit that much from it. Uh, because I don't think Hamas is necessarily popular in that area, but I don't understand, besides pure politics, why the president's going. If he had the inspirational capabilities of Bill Clinton, persuadability, uh, George Bush's candidness, you know, JFK's charisma, I could see maybe showing up. But for him to show up now, when you watch him having trouble getting around, saying openly, Scott Pelley introduced the feature on Sunday saying, the president has a long day, and he sometimes gets back to stuttering when he's tired. Mm. That's the guy you want to send to Israel in the middle of a war zone, then to go to Jordan, then to go to Egypt, and then to go to the West Well, Coast? how do you send a message to Iran, I right? Think Who's already... sending a strong message right now? Don't deal with You say, listen, Threats. I gave you a shot. You've made me look terrible. Clearly your hand's in this attack. Mm. We're changing our policy when it comes to Iran. You don't need to show up in Israel to do that, in my view. Well, the White House, uh, as the president's departing, has said that this is for a show of solidarity with Israel, a show of support on the ground there. Look, we've moved these two aircraft carriers. One's on the way um, just off the coast there. This is a huge show of support on the part of the United States. Um, More of a defensive posture, not exactly meant to be just a deterrence. This could be utilized. Um, and we've got now messages to to troops to stand ready uh, for possible deployment. 2,000. 2,000 of them. Uh, we don't exactly know what those roles are, but this could be a huge mobilization that we, you know, we don't know what the coming days look like. We don't know why Israel's put off this ground invasion uh, into Gaza, but we know that there's huge risk for civilian casualties, obviously, that they've got to address Uh, The president has said his intention is to obviously limit that as much as possible. I mean, I keep going through the maps. We we keep stepping up to the map in the morning and the afternoon. I mean, you look at the Rafah crossing to the south into Egypt, and you've got a million people that have already evacuated the north into the southern part of Gaza. 
And that's that's a massive amount of people moving but about. But a massive open? amount of people. When I started this show, it wasn't open. No, that they have now made. Blinken announced yesterday that they're they announced it. it. But there's a, you've got to assume that's a major, uh, you know, there's traffic two, jam happening there, that, and possibility for Hamas to understand and know that you have an enormous amount of people trying to get out right there. Right, uh, and you just wonder how many Hamas killers are going to get out with them. But we, did you do the Dana show yesterday? No. So at 9 o'clock, we watched when the cameras were live on that Rafa gate. I thought I'd see thousands of people. I think I saw 200. And I'm thinking to myself, are they just stuck in traffic? You know, uh, I know some of them were actually on. Uh, some are going to leave Gaza. They've made that clear. Yeah. Yeah. So I just worry when you get brutalized like Hamas did, they will capitalize on humanity. And there's a lot of people who feel as though every day that goes by, more public sentiment will go against Israel, and if it is their decision to get their ducks in a row and their strategy together, I'm fine with it. But if it's Secretary of State Blinken and our president saying, you lose our support unless you do what I say, I got a huge problem with that. It's not like you're dealing with General Mattis and General Petraeus. They have no experience fighting a war, Mm. and they don't really have a history of making great decisions anywhere in this region. They already bet on the wrong horse. Well, Hamas says they've got 199 held hostage um, there in Gaza. True. Uh, that could be, the State Department by last count said that could be more than a dozen Americans uh, being held hostage. That's an incredibly challenging situation for anyone, including military generals. How you go about that? True. Uh, I want you to hear, Lawrence spoke to a few students. The biggest, most disconcerting thing outside mm-hmm. of carnage has been the, the reaction of the pro-Palestinian protests. Listen to what the kids at Georgetown is saying, the reason they're against Israel. Cut 23. Regarding your questions about beheading babies and uh, raving women, um, I don't think that's true because I didn't even see any glimpse of uh, footage or, uh, or a document uh, showing that. As, as you're probably aware, there, there has been like a spread of uh, misinformation. You feel like it's disinformation? Yeah, definitely. I haven't read enough about whether or not these images are true. I know that there are a lot of reports that these are that these are false, and these, this is misinformation. This is disinformation. So this wow. is what's incredible to wow. me. So do you have to show all this brutality, and then they get they Which, get by look the way, is out there and say and say it's actors? Yeah, I mean that's that's what's going on. Uh, have you seen the latest with Alicia Keys? Um, she has taken many by surprise with this post. Um, she's receiving a lot of backlash for this Instagram post that she has now pulled uh, from her social media site. Uh, she asked the question, what would you do if you weren't afraid of anything? Tell me your truth. She's wearing black and green wow. uh, colors. And she finished the post by adding, I've had my eyes on paragliding. So With th- eyeball emojis. Okay, so she added that. So then the screen grab is out there, but she's now deleted the post. Her Israeli-born record manager has now come out saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. She's def- the, the manager is defending Alicia Keys. Alicia Keys is saying this is not what it was. This was completely unrelated in any way to, not, the, to the recent devastating loss of innocent lives. She says her heart has been breaking. But you talk about it in the context of what we're seeing on college campuses and the number of people that are now being exposed. Like like Britt Hume said the other night, it's like turning over a rock. It has been. It's crazy, Sandra. We're gonna, who's going to be on your show? Uh, Mark Esper is going to be joining us at the top of the hour. We've got some joining us on the front lines, uh, IDF forces, 
Uh, we are going to take our viewers minute by minute leading up to the president's arrival there. Uh, many on the ground in Israel say they're very happy he's coming. It's a show of support for Israel. Uh, we will have live continuing coverage with John on the ground in Jerusalem. Wow. Uh, Sandra, thanks so much. Coming up next, General Breedlove, and I'm going to be outnumbered at the top of the hour. Is it all right if I wear this? Do you know? Sharp. Uh, Love are, it. Are you going to wear the same thing for your second changing. show? You for your I change? will be changing. You'll be changing. I will surprise you. W- really? <laughs> this is going to be great. Are you going to wear the headset? <laughs> no, I'll ditch that. Okay, good. Sandra, thanks so much. Sandra Smith at 2 o'clock today. Thanks for Eastern having me. Time. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Keep it here, and I'll see you at noon. Fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, just a quick note. I'm going to be outnumbered at the top of the hour. I'm going to go downstairs. You'll see me on Fox News Channel. Just a quick note, too, at briankilmeade.com. Uh, you can pre-order, even if you want to personalize, uh, Teddy and Booker T, our two American icons, blaze the path to racial equality. I think you probably know the names, but you don't know how they work together. Uh, it's out November 7th, and I'm going to be in the Red Bank, New Jersey area first. And then above W, uh, Ponte Vedra, WOKV listeners, there's a few tickets left there. Those are the live shows. Well, a chance to talk about America, uh, give a perspective of American, American history. Meanwhile, I had a chance to talk to, at the very last minute, we booked this former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. And I'm not talking about uh, Stavridis. I'm talking about Philip Breedlove, the general. He joined me with perspective, not only on uh, what's happening uh, with uh, Ukraine and Russia and why Europe matters. But most importantly, what goes on with Israel? What our tactics could be? Why the president could be coming over there? Is this about politics or is it about performance for the Israeli army who is about to go through a, go into a bloody war? We talked about him, and I wanted to bring this interview, interview back for you. Now we're joined by former NATO Supreme Allied Commander General Philip Breedlove. General, your thoughts about why it's taken so long to get the ground incursion going, and how, does it relate at all to the president's visit? Well, first of all, Brian, thanks for having me on Fox and Friends. Uh, I think that it, we shouldn't be looking at it like it has taken so long. I like to look at it like Israel is doing its job in preparing. This is going to be an incredibly tough mission, as you know. And with, uh, with the hostages scattered all in the conflict, trying to do this in a responsible way, it's going to take time. And frankly, you and I don't know what's happening behind the scenes in the political sense. So uh, I don't, I'm not fretting over how long it's taken. Good. Seven and a half hours, Israel and U.S. officials met, separated separate rooms, passed papers back and forth. And evidently, President Biden wouldn't commit to going until they committed to, till the Israelis committed to a humanitarian game plan. Is that smart? you want to read between the lines there? Well, I think, again, you have talked about it on your show that, that the real game now is almost all about the PR campaign. Hamas knows they're not going to win this military engagement. What they want to do is to turn the world against Israel. They dash into Israel and do some of the most heinous crimes we've seen in our time. And then they dash back, and now it's all about setting the stage to make Israel look like the aggressor 
and, quote, unquote, the bad guy in this conflict. So the president's going to the region right after the secretary of state went to Saudi Arabia. He went to Qatar. He went to Egypt and he went to Jordan. And evidently, he got the cold shoulder in Saudi Arabia. He got a, a history lecture in Egypt. and He's got no tangible gains from Qatar. Is this why the president's going? Because the secretary of state seems to have not been able to make any inroads? Or what else do you think it is? Well, Brian, I actually believe it's a little different. I, I think that what we have seen over the past few years is that American leadership and Western leadership, for that matter, has been in decline. We have been slowly backing away from things. And, and I think now that the president is going to Middle East to try to reassert Western and certainly American leadership in the region, I think this is a time where it's important that the West right. read also the United States leads. Right. And you just think this is all a fallout from Afghanistan. And this president, in many ways, I don't want to put words in your mouth, in many ways is trying to rehab from that decision. Yeah, you know, I don't like to do politics, Brian, but I would just say that we have a trail of decisions and actions across the past decade or so. And this is multiple administrations, not just this one, whereby America has been retreating from leadership positions in the world. And I think this may be the first step to try to to reassert some of that leadership. There's a couple of things. Uh, do you think that the Israelis have already concluded that Hezbollah is going to be coming in from the north? Well, I believe that Israel and the IDF uh, are very uh, intelligent and smart about how they handle the north. You've seen this in, in the Golan Heights and along the Strip of Lebanon before. And I think they're preparing by getting people out of there so that if they have to take action in the north, they'll be free to move and they'll not have to worry about their own civilians or others in that northern area. So what I see is an IDF that is being smart right. about preparation for what they feel could be an attack from the north. The Wall Street Journal writes that Russia and China are celebrating that there's a diversion away from Ukraine and maybe from uh, Taiwan and who knows what North Korea is up to. Do you think this works to Russia's advantage in the Ukraine that we're focused for this moment on uh, Israel? Well, if you've seen across the past five or six days, some of the most tough action in this battle in the east in Ukraine have been going on. Russia has been using this time where the world's eyes are diverted to Israel to do some of their, their toughest attacks. And indications right now that some of the actions of the Russians in the north may have culminated not in their favor. So I'm not sure how this will eventually play out. But certainly Russia has used the past week to uh, attack in a major way in the north and east part of eastern uh, Ukraine. Thanks so much, General. Appreciate your insight. All right. Thanks so much for listening to the radio show. You're going to see me on TV again right at the top of the hour on Fox News Channel. Brian Kilmeade Show. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.